Our scripture reading today is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge what his eye see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall gaze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand at the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be, for, shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, Shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Bob Gunter is the pastor for family ministries at Moody Church in Chicago. He is a tall, slender, elderly gentleman. He became a pastor after he retired from a career in law. And if I had to guess, I'd say he's probably in his early 70s. He preached a message a few years ago now in which he described how he had knee surgery and had some limitations. And like a lot of guys, he didn't want to follow the doctor's recommendations exactly. And I'll never forget the story he told because looking at him as a tall, slender man, it filled me with horror. Here's the thing I want you to remember. His wife was taking great care of him, as wives do, wanting to see him recover well. And he said, he he told this story, he said his wife was sitting in their living room watching a sermon on TV, and he said she cannot resist good preaching. And so he knew he could get away with anything he wanted to because she was devoted to the Word of God. She was watching a sermon and wouldn't get up or realize anything that he was doing. And so with a knee replacement, he decided it was a great idea to climb the stairs without any sort of assistance, and he fell. And he fell hard. The reason I'm telling you that is that 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 image stuck in my mind because I love Bob. I I don't know him well, but he had such a heart for ministry and was such a, a great pastor at the church there. As he was telling that, his point was not that his wife was enormously devoted to preaching. His point was... We do foolish things and sometimes they hurt us. But what struck me 
was what must life be like when you reach a stage where you have an enormous amount of freedom with how you spend your time and the way she chose to spend her time was by hearing the word of God taught and she wanted that so much that it completely absorbed her devotion and her attention. This morning, we're going to be continuing our series in Luke. And before we go there, I have a few things that I want to say first by way of introduction. So let me ask you this. And if I could, I would ask each of you individually, I would address you by name. And I would like everyone here to answer this question, not audibly, but right now to answer this question. Do you want to experience the presence and power of God in your life more than you currently are? Let me ask that another way to maybe be more specific about what God's presence and power is like. Do you want to know how wonderful How awesome, how loving, how merciful, how compassionate, how holy, how pure, and how awesome God is. And to enjoy a close presence so that you know that he's with you. You enjoy the confidence of being in his presence. Do you want that more than you have it? If your answer to that question is yes then I want to say to you this morning, you need to experience the Holy Spirit in a personal way. And so the question becomes, how do you experience and receive more of the Holy Spirit? Now, I want to be very clear here. The Bible says everyone who has trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, everyone who believes that he died for our sins and rose from the dead and is trusting in that and resting in that, everyone has received the Spirit. I'm not saying some people have it, some people don't. Every Christian has the Spirit. The question is, do you enjoy the presence and power of God in your life? The Scriptures are clear. It describes again and again throughout the book of Acts how the Holy Spirit fills believers in particular times, in particular ways, for the power of ministering in Jesus' kingdom, for the advancement of the gospel. And they enjoy great blessing and confidence in God. They enjoy His power, and that power enables them to spread the gospel effectively so that the kingdom is built, so that the church grows. And that happens in the lives of individual believers. So the question becomes, how do you enjoy more of the Holy Spirit than you may have right now? And Paul answers this question in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3 says two verses, really. I'm going to put them together. He asks the question to some believers who had forgotten this a little bit. He says, did you receive the Spirit of God by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And he makes it clear that you receive the Spirit as you hear the word in faith. And then he asks this question, 
And this is so critical for the point that I want to make right now. He says, does he who supplies, present tense, ongoing, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The difference between those two questions is one of them is past. One of them is looking at you receive the Spirit of God when you believe the gospel by faith. But the other is present and ongoing. And he says... Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, who continues to supply the Spirit to you, does he who works miracles among you and continues to work miracles among you, does he do that because of the things you do, or does he do that as you hear the Word of God in faith? And he clearly answers the question in the following verses, saying, those who are of faith are blessed. So if you want to experience more of God's presence and power in your life, you need to listen to the word of God and respond to it in faith. Your spiritual health depends on your ability to hear the word of God with faith. And so I believe we ought to consistently do two things. Number one, we ought to pray and ask God for open and receptive hearts, so that when we hear the word of God, we understand it, we remember it, and we allow it to take deep root in our hearts and lives so that it transforms us from the inside out. And that comes with a dependence on God. And I believe an attitude of prayer is the most appropriate attitude that we should have every time we open the word, every time we listen to this word. And so I'd like to take just a moment and pray right now. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, I ask right now for your help. Lord, for myself, I pray that you would make me very sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Father, for for those who are gathered here to hear your word, I ask for special supernatural attentiveness. I ask for humility and vulnerability that they would listen not to me but to your word and that they would allow your word to take deep root in their hearts to convict them, to encourage them, to equip them, to change them, more than anything, to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ in this hour. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the first thing we ought to do. We ought to pray and have an attitude of prayer. And so I I have led us in prayer. I've asked for, for Scott to lead us as well. Prayer changes the way you interact with the word of God, not because of anything you or I do or the words or anything like that, but because God responds when his people ask him to work according to his word. And so we have asked God, we are trusting him to work. What's the second thing? Well, the second thing is that we ought to constantly sit under the preaching and teaching of the word. And we do this weekly, but I want to argue with you today that weekly is actually not enough. That we need more of it. And think for just a second, okay? If, if you have enormously high blood pressure, and your doctor is afraid for your life, and he says, you need to take this medication daily, are you going to try and talk him down to once a week? No. You'll take it the way he instructs you to take it for the good of your physical health. Well, that's true of some medication that can maybe help you physically, 
How much more should we depend on the word of God for our spiritual health? Your body is going to die no matter what you do. You've got 80 years if you're good, 90 years if you're exceptional at the most. But your soul is eternal. And so if God says that the word of God is good and healthy for your soul, how much is too much for you to take in? You ought to listen to the word of God regularly. Not just weekly, but continually to seek it with your whole heart. So an attitude of prayer and an attitude of continuing to sit under it regularly. Now, I don't believe we force this to happen. We don't just do these two magic things and then God has to respond. We wait on him. We trust that in his will and in his way, he will work according to what he has said. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus says the Father delights to give us the Holy Spirit. He is not stingy. And so if we ask and we continue to humbly listen to his word, God says he always looks to those who are humble and contrite and tremble at his word. You find that in the book of Isaiah. So we come to the word of God, longing for more of God's presence and power with an attitude of humble prayer, with an attitude of faith, looking to God to work through his word. Now, I hope if you've been here for the beginning of our series in Luke, you know where we are, you're coming to, to the latter part of chapter 4, you might be wondering, what on earth does my introduction to this message have anything to do with what Jesus is doing? And I hope that's your question. The answer to that question is Jesus is a preacher. Jesus is a preacher. If you have your Bible with me this morning, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. This is absolutely critical. Sometimes, I think we forget how much of Jesus' ministry was in preaching and teaching the Old Testament. Sometimes people are frustrated with the church and they want to know why Christians aren't more like Jesus. And when they say that, they mean, why don't we do more for the poor? And why don't we just love everyone? And why don't we place less importance on our weekly worship and more importance on just loving people the way Jesus did? And, and I want to say this kindly and compassionately. I don't want to condemn anybody. But the critical thing that we've got to realize, if somebody says that and has that kind of attitude, they don't know Jesus. They don't know who Jesus is. Jesus is a preacher. And if you want to be like Jesus, you magnify the word of God the way Jesus did. The reason the church values preaching and always will is because Jesus told us to preach and teach the word of God. And so a priority that magnifies the word of God is consistent with what Jesus did and with what he commanded his church to do. I want to remind you, that Jesus, he preached in corporate worship settings. We've already seen how he went to synagogues all over the Galilean region. Here he's about to go to Judea and do the same and go to regular gatherings where people studied the word of God and he taught as people gathered and focused on the word. That was the central aspect of his ministry. Yes, he did go to the houses of sinners like Zacchaeus, to tax collectors' houses like Matthew. And he did go and he had dinner with Simon the Pharisee, someone that we have an easy time condemning as a sinner in a different sort of way. He was known as a friend of sinners. 
And yes, he did feed the multitudes and he had compassion on the poor. But we have to remember, he called Zacchaeus and Simon and Matthew all to repent and to know the God of the Old Testament. He magnified the word of God in his interaction with everyone. And the multitudes who were there to hear him. You know, if we planned an enormous gathering where there were over 5,000 people, we would plan an event. We would make sure they had food. We would say, no one will come unless we plan for food. We would probably invite them more for the food than for the preaching and teaching. Jesus went to the middle of nowhere, preached and taught, and people didn't want to leave To the point where it was an emergency because they weren't going to make it back to town. They were going to faint in the way. And then he fed them. He fed their souls before he fed their stomachs. And that was his priority. He did not reject the scriptures and say, you know, we just need to push this book aside a little bit and love people. The scriptures were the central part of his ministry. He called sinners to repentance based on what God said in his word. And he called people to place their trust in him as the Messiah based on God's promises in his word. Jesus' affection and love for sinners was grounded in God's mercy and love that welcomes us when we repent, which you can see all over the Old Testament. That repentance comes when people hear the word of God preached. The word of God comes first. So preaching is enormously important for your soul. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Paul asks, how will people know unless they are told? How will they be told unless someone preaches? So I ask you again, the same question I asked a moment ago. Are you not experiencing the promises of God in your life? Well, then let me ask you a follow-up question. Are you listening to his word with a heart that believes? So this morning, as we hold up the word of God, I want to hold Jesus up high, and I want to make sure that we see him in the text of Scripture. And my prayer for you is that you would understand how vital preaching is to your personal spiritual health. How you can see how true that is as you look at the ministry of Jesus. And as we do that this morning, we'll begin to see two things. Number one, we will see continued opposition to the ministry of Jesus. And as we see that opposition rise, we will see his absolute authority over that opposition. And as you see Jesus' authority and power this morning in the text of Scripture, let me encourage you to worship him as you listen to this message. Have an attitude of prayer as you listen. Praise Jesus for his power and his authority. Ask God to help you see the Savior clearly in our text this morning. And if you're here this morning and Jesus is not your Savior, I want to say we are thrilled to have you with us this morning. And it's our prayer that before you leave today, as we've looked at Jesus in the scriptures, you will love him and worship him, and you will call him your savior too. Let's look at the scriptures in Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 31. Read with me through verse 37. Scripture says, And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! 
what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now I've entitled the section Authority Over Demons, and I think we could spend a lot of time talking about demons. I think it'd be an enormous waste of time, and Satan would be very pleased. You would have your mind entertained and your soul malnourished. This passage is not intended to help us identify demons so that we can rebuke them in Jesus' name. Early Christians did not go around looking for demons. They didn't have exorcism ministries or services. When they were confronted with a demon, they cast them out in the powerful name of Jesus, which has the same power today as it did then. They didn't obsess or concern themselves with the opposition They were obsessed and concerned with the Savior Jesus who delivers in power. Most of Satan's activity is not obvious. He is a deceiver. He doesn't show his cards. Most of what the Bible describes him doing is blinding people to the truth in such a way that they are unaware of his influence. You can see this clearly with Old Testament kings. You know, they're they're in the war room. They're making plans for war. And they want to make wise plans. They want to have victory. And Satan goes and sends spirits that lie to them in such a way that they are not aware that a spirit has had influence in their hearts and minds. And so they commit to doing certain things that can destroy them. And they are completely unaware of the demonic influence that has blinded them and led them towards destruction. That is how Satan typically works. Now, you may worry and wonder, what am I going to do if I'm ever confronted with a demon? I firmly believe that Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, will be there to help. And in the power and authority of Jesus, we can rebuke in the same way that Jesus did and see the same sort of deliverance. Jesus offers the same power and victory for every spiritual conflict. But the point of this passage... Not to talk about demon possession. The point of this passage is to focus on Jesus and to magnify him. So let's do that by paying attention to what Jesus is doing. And you see his devotion to teaching and preaching and how people were astonished that his word possessed authority. They were astonished by that before this moment of confrontation ever came around. You can see it in verse 32. They were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. Authority. What is authority? It means that it grips your heart. You don't just leave saying, oh, I know what that means now. It means people were confronted with their need to repent. People were confronted with their unbelief. They recognized they had heard the promises of God in the scriptures before, but they hadn't really believed them. And Jesus is calling them to believe in the promises of God. Luke shows us that the word Jesus preaches has power and authority, not just in a, in a way that is instructing them in a good moral code, but in a way that sets people free. 
He demonstrates the power of that message by showing miraculous deliverance. So the miracles help the message, but the message is the main point. The question is, what is his message? Well, we saw part of it last week. His message is that God is fulfilling his promises to deliver his people. All the promises in the Old Testament are coming true. Go back with me to verses 18 through 21. You can read a sample of the kind of thing that he was saying. So he gets the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and he reads, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That Spirit that, that came down and descended in the form of a dove when he was baptized, that's what he's talking about. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Notice how much proclamation is in that. God anointed him to preach his word. And then go to verse 20. He says, and he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And Jesus began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he is teaching them about the fulfillment of God's promises, that God is keeping his promises. And Jesus is saying, You need to believe in them. You need to be ready for the kingdom. He is leading people in repentance. He is leading people in hope that God is keeping his promise. You know, there's beautiful promises that Christy read a a little while ago talking about how, how lions will lay down. There'll be no danger. That the wolf will lay down with a lamb. You know, these wolves eat lambs. That's why it's a big deal. The promises of the Messiah are that he will bring peace. That war will end. Those are the things. And Jesus is saying, I am announcing this kingdom has come. It's already here. And it's significant that this demon-possessed man disrupts this preaching. The people are hearing the word of God They are amazed at his authority already. He has done nothing to demonstrate it visibly with the miraculous. They're amazed at how he helps them understand and believe the word of God. And Satan hates that and tries to stop it. But rather than halting the service, Jesus demonstrates just how powerful and authoritative his word is By rebuking the demon, and the demon has no choice but to obey his word. So the word of God is visibly shown to be powerful. And if people thought the word had authority before, they are now more convinced and persuaded at the authority of Christ. And notice, they magnify the word that he was already preaching. Look at verse 36 with me. They say, they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits and they come out. They're recognizing the application of that word that he said, the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And he just set someone who was captive free. If they had any doubt about the power and authority of the word of God, that God was really keeping promises, Jesus had just shown them that he really was. So he demonstrates his complete authority 
over demonic forces and the devil, just like he bested Satan in the wilderness and resisted temptation and overcame it there. Now he is showing his authority and dominion over Satan through the preaching of the word and the kingdom is advancing. And then Luke shows that not only is this word authoritative over dramatic conflicts with the devil, but it has authority over sickness as well. Now notice verses 38 through 41 with me. It says, Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, And it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. And now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. This passage continues the very same Sabbath day where Jesus was preaching in the morning in the synagogue, and it records Jesus going to take a Sabbath meal after teaching at the synagogue. But when he arrives, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And so they ask him, based on the power that he just showed, to help Peter's mother-in-law. And what you see is Jesus' authority, Jesus' word of authority, has power over physical sickness as well. He rebuked the sickness with the same way that he rebuked demons, and Peter's mother-in-law was healed. Now, because it was Sabbath, at this point, while they're in Peter's home, if you had someone that you loved who was ill, you couldn't carry that person to someone else's home because you would have been working on the Sabbath. You would have been violating the law as they understood it at that time. Now, now Jesus later is going to take on that understanding of the Sabbath, but he hasn't done that yet. And so people are not going to bring their sick to him as long as it's Sabbath. And that's why the text says, when the sun went down, all kinds of people who knew anyone who was ill took them to Jesus to be healed. And it says that Jesus healed them all. All. There was not a single case that was so bad that Jesus kind of bit his fingernails and said, I don't know if I can help that guy. No, he healed them all. There was no one who was beyond the power of his word. And that word rebuke, he used it a couple of times in this text. It's the word that he used when he talked to the first demon. It's the word that he used for the fever that that Peter's mother-in-law had. And it's the word that he used as he rebuked demon after demon. And all of them show Jesus complete and utter authority over sickness and Satan. It's normal when we read these verses to wonder, why doesn't Jesus want the world to know that he is the Christ? And I think this is where we begin to get to the heart of this message because he's clearly describing that he is the Messiah, but he does not want to start a political revolution and he does not want to be a faith healer. And you can see this especially clearly in the next few verses where people begin to hinder his ministry. So notice that Jesus exercises his authority over the crowds that start to flock to him. Look with me at verses 42 to 44. And when it was day, this next morning, says he departed and went into a desolate place. That should remind us of how he sought to be alone with the Father, just like when he went to the desert. 
And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is a stunning couple of verses. What you find is that people become enamored with what Jesus could do for them. And they wanted him to meet all of their needs right now to such an extent that he couldn't preach. And Jesus doesn't put his preaching and teaching schedule on hold so that he can take care of sickness. He says, I was sent for the purpose of preaching the kingdom of God. That means he left people in a state of sickness. He left people under the power and authority of Satan so that he could proclaim and preach and teach the kingdom of God over the entire area. That's stunning. We expect and want Jesus to do the exact opposite. Jesus said that preaching the message of the gospel, the same message that we are commanded to preach today, he said that was more important than healing the sick And more important than freeing those under demonic influence. There are a lot of sick people who were healed who then died and went to hell because they didn't believe the gospel Jesus preached. There were a lot of people who suffered under the influence of demons who were temporarily freed but did not rest in the good news of the kingdom and their souls are today in bondage in hell because they did not listen to Jesus as a preacher and a teacher. Today, when we think of ministry, we want to see miracles because we think if people just saw something supernatural, people just saw something healed or maybe a dramatic exorcism, that they would have to believe in Jesus. But Jesus shows it's the exact opposite. Jesus shows us that the word of God is itself powerful. And you ought to believe the word even if you never see a miracle in your life. Let me ask you this, that statement that that, that Jesus was sent for the purpose of preaching. You know, we rightly identify the cross as the decisive moment in Jesus' ministry. When was the last time you thought of Jesus as a preacher? The stunning thing is that people come to saving faith under the ministry of Christ the exact same way people come unto saving faith in the ministry here and in every church where the gospel is proclaimed and taught. It's through the preaching of the word of God. Not by seeing miracles. The preaching of the word of God. People were expected to believe, Jesus expected them to believe, not because they saw the miracles he performed, but because the message that he preached was consistent with what God said in the Old Testament. Later in this gospel, chapter 16, there's a stunning parable that Jesus gives. He he describes a man in hell asking to have someone sent back from the dead to warn his brothers of future judgment. And that man in torment is told if they will not believe Moses and the prophets, if they will not believe the Old Testament, they will not believe someone coming back from the dead. Jesus says, your friends and loved ones don't need a miracle. They need to listen to the word of God. And so as we think about application, think about what this means 
I believe that you and I, I know that you and I are called to preach and teach the same message that Jesus preached and taught. He commissioned his apostles. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And Paul said to Timothy, entrust faithful men with the same things you have heard and seen in me so that they can teach others. The primary mission of the church is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ so that sinners are forgiven and saved. That's the central part of our mission and ministry. Anything else we do that detracts from that, we shouldn't do. You might hear this and, and, and see this and think, you know what, times have changed. In Jesus' day, people listened to preaching, but in our day, you can't expect people to sit down and listen to the Word of God. I hear you. Do you know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25? Turn there with me. I, this is so important. I want you to see it in the text of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Bible is not naive, The Bible doesn't hold up preaching because it's this great thing. The Bible makes it clear that God works through preaching precisely because it is foolish to an unbelieving world. Look at me, 1 Corinthians 1, starting verse 18, says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. They're not going to come and hear it because they think that this is a great thing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul says the strength and power in Christian ministry is in the foolish preaching of the gospel of Jesus. This has enormous implications for the ministries of our church. We need to recognize that God still advances the kingdom of God the way Jesus did, through the preaching and teaching of the word. Paul admits it was foolish in the first century and it's foolish today and it delights God to work through what seems foolish because when he does that, he gets the glory. Nobody's going to say, wow, look at the church grow. That was a brilliant strategy. They're going to scratch their heads and say, how did that work? That doesn't make sense. And we can say it worked because God in his wisdom chooses to work through the foolishness of preaching. This is life and death. There are people who will go to hell because they have not heard the gospel. And so this has enormous implications for how you and I ought to reach them. So teachers, I want to say a word. Some of you teach on Wednesday nights. Some of you are Sunday school teachers. Some of you are not teachers yet, but you should be and will be. Teachers, you have a sacred responsibility Do not take it lightly. Prepare well. 
Be committed to continual growth and improvement. It doesn't matter how long you've taught. You can do it better. Paul said to Timothy, let your progress be evident to all. Let that be true of all of us who work to teach the word of God. Some of you hear this, and and I hope it excites you, that God works through the preaching and teaching of his word, and you can be part of that. And if that's you and you're not teaching, talk to me later. I would love to start you on a journey that, that could take you to a place where you can teach the word of God and you can see God do this kind of work. But for those of you, maybe that's not you. And that's fine. Not, not everyone is called to a teaching ministry. If that's not you, talk to your kids about what preaching does in strengthening faith. Do not teach your kids that they don't need to pay attention in church because they're kids. Teach them that their lives depend on hearing the word of God. And the best way to teach them that is to show them that you believe your life depends on hearing the word in faith. That's for believers as well as unbelievers. That word, James says, is the word that you are to receive with meekness because it is able to save your souls. James says that to people who are already believers in the church. Your future salvation is not done and God accomplishes your work through the preaching of his word so you need to hear it. And if your kids see that you believe that your future salvation depends on hearing the word in faith, that will excite them so that they listen to the preaching of the word of God. It starts with you. All of us need to humbly listen to the word of God and especially in the context of a worship service. But we shouldn't wait a whole week before we hear it again. We should be eager, eager to hear the word of God preached and taught. There are so many ways to access it. You can hear it on podcasts. You can hear it on the internet. You can hear it on radio. It is everywhere. Listen to the word of God. Value it in your lives. Some of you, need to proclaim the word of God. And I want to say this boldly and bluntly, you need to proclaim it to your spouse. Some of you need to proclaim it to your kids. And some of you have heard me say that, say, you know, they won't listen. And so what I want to ask you to do right now in this moment is to stop and confess your unbelief in the power of God's word. Say to the Lord, I believe your word is powerful and effective. Help my unbelief. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation. Not a goofy event to bring in a crowd. The preaching of the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. Recognize the power of the word of God and do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not let your heart sink in unbelief before a word leaves your mouth. Proclaim the word of God. And if you proclaim the word of God humbly and the person listening still does not believe, persevere. Do not give up. The word of God is powerful. It is living and active. Some of you need to not only proclaim the word of God, some of you need to focus on bringing people to hear the word of God preached and taught. And honestly, I don't care if you bring them here. I'm not saying that it has to be in the service. I'm saying take them any place where you can hear the word of God proclaimed and you know they will hear the gospel. Bring people not to some sort of gimmick to get them in the door. Bring people to the preaching of God's word and show them That you value the preaching itself. If we magnify some gimmick to get people in the door, we are cheapening the word of God and acting as if it's not really worth hearing. 
But if you show people that you value preaching and that your life depends on it, when you invite them to hear the word preached, they might be skeptical. They might feel like it's a waste of time. But they'll know that you believe it. And in hearing, we will ask God to open their eyes just like he opened your eyes, just like he opened my eyes, so that through faith their souls will be saved. Heaven and hell depend on hearing the gospel with faith. So some of you need to bring people to hear that word. I want to urge you, fall in love with the word yourself. And the last thing I want to ask you this morning as we've applied this in a few different ways, some of you should teach, some of you should proclaim, some of you should invite. The last thing I want to do is, I need your prayers so that I do this well. And not just me, but every teacher in our church and every person called to teach needs your prayers. We do not presume, I do not presume to be good at preaching. And I'm not saying that because I I want you to come up and encourage me. I am saying that because I need your specific prayers so that I proclaim the word of God with boldness, clarity, and conviction as I ought. Paul asked people to pray for him. If Paul needed the prayers of, of the people, I will need God's people to pray until God calls me home. We need prayer to support and advance the kingdom of God as we go forward and preach it and proclaim it. To be very blunt, as we magnify Christ through his word, some of you need to quit wasting time with TV shows and books that do not strengthen your faith. It's not that those things are bad. I'm not here to condemn TV or anything like that. It's because they aren't doing you any good. They are leaving you weak. They are leaving you vulnerable and the kingdom of God is not advancing because you're wasting your time. Some of you need to listen to the word of God taught on a daily basis. Sometimes God will use a message from someone else to reach into your heart in a way that your own devotional reading may not have done. And so I want to urge you, whether it's teaching whether it's being willing to listen to the word of God on a regular basis, whether the Holy Spirit has spoken to you in this moment and said, you need to talk to your son, you need to talk to your daughter. Whether it's any of those things, I want to ask you in the quietness of this moment to submit to the Holy Spirit and tell the Father, I will do what you've asked me to do. And then in just a moment, I'm going to lead us in prayer. But let's have a moment of silence where we commit to obeying the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Let us know Jesus as we ought. May we be devoted to your word. May we humbly submit to what it says instead of what we want it to say. May we receive from you true teachings about Christ so that we know him and love him. Forgive us for when we do not value your word. Forgive us. For when we do not proclaim it and preach it and teach it as we ought. And Lord, let us see your power and authority through your word. May your kingdom advance here and everywhere where Jesus is worshipped. In the power of your spirit through the preaching of your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.